0: I'm your host,
1: Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping leaders and organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose within those organizations. I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think contributes to or expands this conversation, and as a management consultant and social scientist, I draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as from my own consulting, speaking, and experience developing workforces across the globe. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on here with Dr. Joy Martina, author of How to Use Your Intuition to Change Your Life. She gave us many pearls of wisdom from her years of research, inquiry, and practice helping business leaders and celebrities develop their intuitive intelligence. It was a fascinating conversation. I learned a ton. With us this week is Kate White, the New York Times bestselling author of 12 murder mysteries and thrillers, and several popular career books, including The Gutsy Girl Handbook, Your Manifesto for Success, based on her groundbreaking bestseller, Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead But Gutsy Girls Do. For 14 years, Kate was the editor-in-chief of the Cosmopolitan magazine, where she increased overall circulation by 30% and made Cosmo the number one magazine in the U.S. in single copy sales. Today, we're here to talk about how women can learn from her years of experience as a gutsy woman in the business world and what she's learned from many others along the way. She joins us today from New York City. Kate, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. I am so happy to have you and thrilled you came into my path. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to learn a ton from you, and I just love the idea of celebrating who you are and what you've done in the world with all of our listeners, Kate. So thank you for being with us. It's Uh great. Your lease. So I want to start by situating why one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is I do uh, a lot of work coaching women ac- across the globe as they develop their careers and certainly as they develop their, their leadership. And I'll, as you say in your book, so eloquently, we've come a long way, but really just not enough. So, can you can you start by giving us some stats about women in the workplace? And I, I mean, I'm generally pretty positive about things and pretty optimistic. But what you have in the book is still kind of dismal. Where are we?
2: Well, I, I hate to use the word dismal because certainly, just as you said, at least we've come so far. When I was first in New York in the '70s, I applied at Newsweek magazine for a job because I wanted to be in journalism, and I was told, "Look, you can only get so far because." Women are not allowed to become editors here. And it took a lawsuit by some brave women who worked at Newsweek to change that. So things are so different. But still, according to one of the surveys from Lean In, the Cheryl Sandberg company, uh, they, they looked at... 18,000 jobs, and they found that women earned 92 cents on the dollar compared to men. But when women entered management, that dropped to 83 cents. So you still see a discrepancy there. And one of the stats that really bugged me was the fact of, and this came from Catalyst, that the women account for 44% of all employees at S&P companies, the uh, S and P five hundred companies, they account for just twenty five percent of people and of twenty five percent of management. And I think the stat that really slayed me was was one involving uh, Beyonce. There's that great song where Beyonce talks about girls running the world, but the company that creates and markets her fragrance, until recently, had no women on its executive. Uh, in its executive ranks or its board. And they finally added one person because I think that stat got out there. So we still do have our work to do for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, part of what I stand for there on that, Kate, for sure, is I, I think that part of it, not all of it, not even close to all of it, part of it is that I think that workplaces are not compelling for a lot of women. It's not interesting for, for what they how they experience work. And of course, I'm out to be able to help companies elicit more meaning and purpose, make it a better place for everyone to enjoy themselves and grow and thrive. But we won't talk about that in this episode. I want to talk about what you have learned and what you have, what you can share about your your background, your experience, and the, your all the experience you've had writing books. Um, so one of the things I want to ask, and I just love your whole career, Kate, it's just so inspiring, <laughs> but I want to talk about how you have been able to apply the, 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 the gutsy girl principles you talk about in your book. You have nine of them in there, I believe. But it's to the extent that we can share at least some of them on the show with our listeners, it would be great if you could just say a little bit about how you've used some of those to be able to do some of the amazing things that you've done. A chief of Red Book, editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, writing 12 books, it's impressive.
2: Well, I think for for me, some of it has been unleashing those gutsy girl instincts that were there when I was growing up, but got tamped down at times because Mm -hmm. I, uh, like a lot of women, there are moments where I feel, oh, I don't want to rock the boat here, I don't want to step into a puddle with my party shoes on, and so (laughs) it was really trying to let some of those unfurl, and also at certain situations, stepping back and saying, okay. This isn't working. What do I have to do to make a change here? There was one point where I was the number two at a magazine, uh, just a small Sunday supplement magazine, and I was up for the number one job after my boss left, and I ran the magazine for three months while they conducted a search for his successor, and I threw my hat in the ring, uh, or, or was told your hat's in the ring. And I didn't get the job and later my boss who had gone on to run GQ took me aside and he said I heard that your proposal was the best and you didn't get the job because you were a woman and that was a moment where I probably could have cried into my beer but I said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to go back into women's magazines and I'm not going to end up having that hurdle in front of me so probably for me I would say what's helped me the most is the ability sometimes to step back and look at the the landscape and say okay here's what I've got to do differently always I've been good about asking for what I want because if you don't ask you're not going to get it mm-hmm. and one part just one last thing I would say a, a big part to me of gutsiness is not being afraid to show your passion. Passion is really contagious and once when I got a job uh, as the editor for chief of Redbook that headhunter told me later Kate don't change. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, so many people who apply for top jobs feel they have to be buttoned up. And you just wore your heart on your sleeve about how much you wanted that job. And that is a winning formula. And I wish I could teach that to other people. So thats I think that's been a big part of my success is not being afraid to even seem a little corny sometimes about how much I want something and how much I'd like to bring to it.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful, Kate. And thank you for a couple things. One, using the word unleashing your gutsy girl instincts. I use that word a lot. Oh. And two, uh, I do a lot of coaching with, with women. And women are, you're right, are more and more so buttoned up in the workplace. And I tell them, please show your authenticity. Let us see what inspires you, what brings you to life. And what is your purpose? Because that is irresistible to people. And they're like, really? Are you sure? And they don't believe me. So mm-hmm. if they don't believe me, then we'll let them believe you.
2: Elise, I once got a letter from a girl who wanted to be an intern at Cosmo, and she had this line in the letter that she had me at this line because she said, I can still remember being 15 and reading Cosmos in as I lay on my bed in unmatched pajamas. And I thought, wow, what an authentic moment. I could picture her on her bed in those unmatched pajamas, and I just love everything that was so authentic about her letter. Don't be afraid to show that. Don't be afraid to wear your heart on your sleeve.
1: I am completely completely with you, and we want to encourage, get that message out there more writ large. And you are, you are a good person to speak that, Kate, so thank you. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about some of those rules. I, I like in this show, Kate, to give our listeners as much information that they can actually walk away and use as we possibly can while they get to know you and what you're about So one of the rules, the first one that you talk about in the book, is a a gutsy girl breaks the rules. So would you say a bit more about that? What do you mean by breaking the rules?
2: Sometimes to stand out from the pack, you have to do things a little differently. This is such an old example, but when I was a senior in college, my college picked me to enter Glamour Magazine's Top 10 College Woman Contest, and I really wanted to win because I thought it would be an entree to the publishing world in New York. And the part of the entry was writing an essay about your goals for the future. And I decided to write an essay about why I had no goals for the future. And of course, <laughs> I circled back in the piece and I did have goals. But I know that essay helped me to win and and I ended up being on the cover and that was my entry into magazines. So sometimes you just have to look at things a little bit differently. Once you're in a job, it's really important to know that you. Ju- it's it's not enough to do things anymore. That, that, uh, just what you've been told to do, and to uh, do them really well. You've got to come up with bold, innovative, sometimes disruptive ideas for your boss, for your department, for your company, and and not, and not just follow the rules. And that may be simply, let's say, your boss. Ask you to print out some numbers and run some numbers and, and do an analysis, a very simple analysis. But as you're doing that analysis, you see a pattern. And you haven't been told to look for a pattern, but you see a pattern in terms of, let's say, sales in California. To put a top memo on that and, the, and that running of the numbers you did where you say, while I was doing this, I happen to see a really interesting trend in California. Wouldn't it be terrific if we did such and such and tried to leverage that? That's not what you've been told to do, but it tells your boss that you are a gutsy thinker and you're going to go beyond your job description.
1: Mm-hmm. True value add, and Kate. I also teach here at Southern Methodist University, so I work with a lot of young students who are just entering their careers, and I often tell them just that same exact advice: go look for what you see and offer it, give it. Uh, and what I'm finding is that the younger generation, especially, seems a little more reticent. And maybe that's just because they haven't been much experience in the world. But they're like, "Are you sure that's okay? Are you?" Uh, right. Yes, it's better than okay
2: so many of my wonderful staffers initially they didn't know how to do that i often use something i call the four b's it's a great little tool that i found helped me a lot at cosmo i asked would ask myself about any event i was planning any idea i was working on these four b's could it be better could it be bigger could it be bolder could it be more badass? And oh, I love that for ways to blow it up and move out color outside the lines with it. Often that's where you get the idea that's different than the same old way
1: you've always done it before. Mm-hmm. And I like how you bring that to life in your book, too, because I, I caught that too. love that. Okay, well, let's go on to rule number two, and you've already kind of alluded to it, but I just love how in your book you just really just bring it out there, and you say a gutsy girl decides what she wants to be famous for, and then she goes for it fearlessly. I love that, but how did we pull that off?
2: Well, I'm a big believer, even though it's become a little cliche these days, that it's great to be aware of what your personal professional brand is. What is your specialty? How do you define it? And it makes it easier for you to know what to say yes to, what to say no for, to what to go after. And it's really fun to, to think about your brand. And one of the little exercises I give in the book that I was helped by uh, with by a wonderful woman who does brand strategy for BMW. Group is to just take eight or nine words that you think really define your specialty, then try to get it down to three words and then try to create it into a sentence or a statement, almost like a bumper sticker. And for me, when I was doing my public speaking in the beginning, I started to think that maybe mine could become... um, I'm the authority on on gutsy, uh, um, big, bold, gutsy careers or something to that effect. So you're really just giving yourself something, a statement that you can refer back to. At Cosmo, our brand statement was fun, fearless, female, and that was such a great tool for me because it allowed me to look at everything we were considering, every project, and say, gee, I like this, but is this too earnest? Is it not enough fun, fearless, female so if you've got your brand statement down, and it can shift over time for sure, because everything changes, but if you get your brand statement down, it really allows you to hold stuff up against it and evaluate whether it's going to reinforce your brand when you make that choice or follow that path, or it's going to fight it.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. that. I like just that isolating it down like that. I have to work on that yet for myself, but... Um, We got time for one more rule before we have to go on a quick break here. And I love this one. And I want you to know, Kate, that thanks to you and reading your book, I actually have a sticky of this next one. Uh, Rule number three, a gutsy girl knows how to hustle. So I've got this sticky that says hustle. So (laughs) tell us about hustle.
2: Oh, to me, hustle is just figuring out what your priorities are and just going for them. Working your schedule, dumping what doesn't matter, delegating, ignoring what you can just totally ignore, and only focusing on what's important. Be a baller, look for openings, go after what really matters, and leave the rest behind.
1: Mm, yeah, I love your whole section on delegating unapologetically, because a lot of the women that I do work with as I coach them really struggle with that, because they feel like, I don't want to dump this on somebody, or is it fair to ask, or it's just unapologetically really got me.
2: Yes, and uh, one of the things that uh, this wonderful woman, Julia Morgan Stern, who's who's a time management expert, mentioned in the book when I interviewed her, is that we take sometimes women take a lot of satisfaction out of being the girl who does everything so that when something gets dumped on your desk and saying gee bob um i'd love to help but i'm i'm focusing on this right now you 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 feel like i want to show bob i can do it i want to show him a team player i want to show i can do everything that's a good girl instinct
1: yep I understand that, and we want to get to the bottom of that and and start changing course. And on that note, Kate, let's take our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Kate White, the New York Times bestselling author of 12 murder, murder mysteries and thrillers and several popular career books, including The Gutsy Girl Handbook, Your Manifesto for Success, based on her groundbreaking bestseller Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead, But Gutsy Girls Do. She joins us today from New York City. We've been talking a bit about some of the rules and how she's gotten to where she is in life. After the break, we'll continue on with some more of those rules. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: back to working on purpose
1: if you're just joining us, my guest is Kate White, the New York Times bestselling author of 12 Murder Mysteries and Thrillers and several popular career books, including the Gutsy Girl Handbook, Your Manifesto for Success, based on her groundbreaking bestseller, Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead, But Gutsy Girls Do. For 14 years, Kate was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, where she increased overall circulation by 30% and made Cosmo the number one magazine in the U.S. in single copy sales. We've been talking about, about her own life, her own experience, developing her career, And also some of the rules she wrote about in her book. Now we're going to continue on with some more of those rules that I think could be useful. So, Kate, one of the things that you talk about in your book that I thought was especially poignant and something that we women oftentimes don't like to talk about, and that is you say that gutsy girl gets that appearances matter, whether that's fair or not. And you've got a whole section on how how women ought to maybe consider dressing for success, including developing a signature look, hairstyles, all kinds of things. Tell us a little bit about that particular role.
2: It does seem unfair, doesn't it? Because we (laughs) ought to be judged for our skills and our expertise and our experience. But we are human beings and we judge on appearance and studies show that. As you probably know from your coaching, the decision not to hire is often made within the first five to ten minutes. And what are they basing that on? They're basing it on how you're coming across visually first and foremost. You need to dress for the job you aspire to. There's no way around that. And once you are in your company, you need to be dressing for the next job that you want so that your boss can see you in that role when that opens up or when you go after it. And just as important as dressing for the job you aspire to is speaking for the job you aspire to. You have to learn to take command in a meeting and present yourself with as much confidence as possible. I have heard so many women, and I've been there myself, in meetings pitch an idea with phrases like, maybe we should, or I'm just spitballing here, or this probably isn't a good idea, but you have to learn to... Walk into that room, choose a good seat at the table, gain the floor, and present your idea with confidence and without fillers like um or ah. So that speaking is as much a part of your whole sort of appearance as your dress is.
1: Kate, that is such a great point. I just was working a few months ago with a, a woman who had been told by her boss, look, you got to speak up more in the meetings. People don't even know who you are. And yet you have plenty to share. And he said, moreover, I want you to develop your career here and you can't just stay in the same role that you're in. And so he hired me for her and we worked on just that Good thing. Kate. Yeah, we, we worked. He is a great boss. I so commend him. And you know what happened is not very long after he, he, he hired me for her, he got promoted. And, and I, we talked, she and I talked about her applying for his job. And, of course, we talked about that for a couple of weeks or so. We got her ready for it. She applied for it. And the great story is she got the job. Can I
2: just ask you, what was the best tip you gave her for presenting herself better in meetings?
1: Yeah, what I told her was a couple things. She's she's quiet by nature, so she's she tends to want to take in information like a lot of people. She's an engineer and so she does take in a lot of data. So what I what I told her what one of the things I told her I said you got to go and ready to share something you have a whole wealth of knowledge that you can draw from because of your experience and your education so go and ready to be able to draw something from your everyday that you already know that you know will be useful but prepare for that in advance because you're going to need to prepare for that it'll make you feel more comfortable but have it at the ready have a few things at the ready and then you know be be willing to be a little uncomfortable and and put yourself out there
2: right. A lot of people don't realize how prepping before a meeting is so important. They they're waiting for the meeting to unfold, but you've got to game the meeting in advance. Uh, take us take some time to to look at the players and guess what their agenda is going to be, and go and prepared. <sighs>
1: absolutely and and yeah absolutely and and to that end one of one of the other things you talk about in the book one of the other rules and you've already kind of mentioned it but it it's it was so important when she when she was going through the interview process and that is asking for what we want um you know she wasn't she said I don't know what I should ask for and I I don't know what I want just yet I said well you got to get really clear about that but you said it earlier but my daughter when my daughter was 5 Kate she came home from camp one day and she just said, so matter of fact, you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> and well, I just, well. right? I mean, that from the mouth of babes. And I just thought if more of us women could get that early on in life and then live it, how much different our lives might be.
2: So true. And today, I actually think women have... Come to see how important asking is. When I did the first book by Good Girls Don't Get Ahead 23 years ago, and I would mention the importance of asking in a talk I was giving, I would see women nod their heads as if a light bulb had gone off. Yeah, yeah, no, I need to do that. Today, women know that, but because it makes them so uncomfortable, I see them talking themselves out of it. They'll think, Mm -hmm. now's not a good time, or they don't have the money for it, or if They know I want it, so I don't have to ask. You have to ask, just as your daughter said, you don't ask, you don't get. And you have to ask for opportunities, too, not just money. There was a study lately from Hastings School of Law that said that women and people of color are far less likely to be given the kind of glamour jobs that lead to promotions like representing the company in an industry event or or working with a a client on a new project. So you've got to raise your hand for them. You've got to go into your boss and say, hey, I hear this. This is going to be happening. I'd love you to think of me for this.
1: Absolutely. And I don't know what it is about us. I don't know if it is that we're afraid of what we want or if we've been conditioned somehow culturally. I don't know. But... There is something about that, and I want to share just really quick. Um, A few years ago, I went through a a program called um, Leadership Women and then Leadership America here in Dallas. Great program. Love what they're up to. And I was in that program with a a very, very wicked smart woman. Um, She has a Ph.D. in um, astronomy. And anyway, sitting there on the bus, she was sitting there looking and hearing about all the other women that she'd met. And she got really inspired. And she said, darn it, that's it. I'm just going to do it. And I'm like, what? What are you going to do? Are we going to rob a bank? What are we doing? And she goes, I'm going to put my name in the hat to be chair of my department. And she said, I, I put it off. and I keep saying I'm, I'm not going to do it because I've got young children and I'm busy and all of this and all that and all that. I'm just going to do it. And Kate, she put her name in the hat. She's the first female chair of the University of of Austin, Texas, and oh, she did it. I
2: love that story.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm so proud of her, and she's just kicking it. Um, but it did take asking for what she wanted, putting putting herself out there.
2: Yes, and if you're not sure what you you want, like that person you referenced, you st- you just have to say, "I'm going to take some time to try to figure out what it is," and. And, and because if I don't have clarity, I haven't thought about my goals and my needs clearly enough.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's so great, right? Really spending some time really getting clear and riveting on what it is do we, that we want for ourselves in our lives. Well, I do want to talk a little bit more about money, if you don't mind. It's something that I think a lot of women really struggle with. And we've already said that you said 92 cents on the dollar. At least that's better. I remember a figure years ago that was 78 cents on the dollar. So I guess we, we really are making progress. But... How do you counsel women to ask for money or other valuable perks when they're out and about going for what they want?
2: Well, first of all, having been a boss many places, I let them know that companies are often low-balling. And that's, that's just a given because they're leaving money to negotiate with. They often expect negotiation. So you have to know that. And when you are applying for a job and you get the offer, you do not accept the amount that they offer, even if it meets what your expectations were, because you could be leaving money on the table. And you want to read the room, you want to get a sense of the best way to approach a negotiation with that particular person. But I'm a big believer in just being gracious and saying something like, uh, Janet, I am thrilled to get offered this job. I've loved interviewing with you. I've loved everything you've told me about the company. I, I could bring so much here, but I was hoping for 80000 Can we make that happen? And to, I know sometimes I would get a little irritated with people who were gutsy enough to negotiate, but when they came in and performed, all was for, forgotten. And you cannot hesitate to do that. And... You can also negotiate for raises. If you your boss gives you a raise that disappoints you, it may be because there's only so much in the pool, then say, all right, well, uh, what about an, uh, another week of vacation? What about a title change? What about the opportunity to revisit this in six months when the budget opens up? It's, it's scary to do it first, but the more you do it, the more you you'll find it so much easier to do over time.
1: And I think the way that you just gave us that the, the the entree to be able to speak it that way, you know, being gracious about it, Kate was just great. I think that's just such a, a great example that women can use as maybe a bit of a template to be able to draw from.
2: Yes, I just I've seen a couple studies like I think there's a Cheryl Sandberg one that says uh-huh. that. When women do this are seen as bossy and, and I hate studies like that because they make it they almost discourage us from doing it well there's a way to do it without sounding overly assertive or bossy just keep emotion out of your voice and be gracious and ideally they're going to look at you as someone who just values yourself
1: and your mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. I love that that's beautiful Kate gorgeous that was worth the price of admission right there <laughs> <laughs> for sure Uh, no, no pun intended right no pun intended um okay well let's go on to smart risks you've got a whole rule here about gutsy girls taking smart risks so first um i want us to distinguish what you mean by smart risks and then we can talk about you know really how does that rule show up for us
2: in the workforce today we have to not only embrace change we have to create change we have to disruptors I love this quote and I mentioned in the book of Ursula Burns who used to be head of Xerox she said she loved people who fixed things before they were broken we have to have our ear to the ground and know that there it's time to shift and things move quickly but you don't want to take stupid risks and there are questions to ask yourself to help guide you like what are the potential benefits what's what is the potential harm how probable is that harm can, well, how much can I afford to lose and it's important to run through those questions with yourself so you don't do a, a risk just because it looks cool and it sounds good you need to do that evaluation for every big risk and another good question is how will I feel if a competitor does this and mm-hmm. all- things help guide you to an answer that says, look, I don't have a lot to lose, but I've got a lot to gain. Let me go for it. Or maybe not.
1: You are so reminding me of the conversation we had on air last week, Kate, that was with Dr. Joy Martina. And we were uh, were talking about the, 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 uh, intelligence of intuition and how that that factored into how we make decisions and how we take in data and what we do with that information. So it seems to me that there's an element of what you're talking about, about smart risks that does involve intuition. Yes? No?
2: Yes. In fact, I heard you mention her and I was thinking, God, I'm going to go back and listen to that. I'm a big believer in gut, but I would explain it a little differently for myself. I believe in the educated gut Part of why I was able to take Cosmo to number one in newsstand sales and keep it there my 14 years and increase circulation by 30% was because I researched the hell out of my reader. I did focus groups. I rated every single thing in the magazine. And it's that kind of research that gives you an idea uh, that fills your gut with information. So when you go to make a decision... It's based on knowledge. One of my funniest moments was, when, and not long after I started, I took some covers out to a shopping mall. I happened to be out of town. I thought, what the heck? And I took them out and I asked these women. I went up to them. I said, I'm the editor of Cosmo. I'm sure they thought I have just gotten out of an uh, insane asylum uh, doing this in the mall. But I said, uh, can you tell me which of these covers do you like the best? And almost every single woman said to me, what season is it? And mm. that I knew this, the clothes had to be absolutely right for the season. I didn't think that was as essential on Cosmo covers because we weren't strictly a fashion magazine. So I made good gut decisions about what clothes to put on the cover, but they, they were based on information that I gathered from my research.
1: Well, I certainly have been a research gal much of my life, so that's music to my ears. And I I can also understand why that would also give you a really strong platform to work from in order to take those smart risks. That makes a ton of sense to me. Ton of sense. Definitely. Mm, Awesome. I love the fact, too, that you would go into malls and actually just query people. What do you think? I love
2: that. Talk about
1: gutsy. That's just fun.
2: Yeah, crazy woman uh, at the Cross Gates Mall called the police, called security. (laughs)
1: Exactly. But before they, they arrive, can I have it ask you a few questions? No, it'd be <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, Well, it, along that line, really kind of one of the things that presents for me when you talked about that is, um, you know, it seems to me like you're you are fearless. You don't care what people think. And there's this whole thing about we about women being sensitive to. Um people wanting people liking them. They want they want to be liked. And so you have something in your book about rule number seven, a gutsy girl doesn't need all the likes. So the first thing I want to talk about is why do you, do you think that women do feel so strongly that they must be liked? What's what's behind that?
2: Well, I'm not a scientist, but I know from reading that we are hardwired to want to collaborate. We are Mothers and nurturers and relationships are important to us. And that that's lovely. But and let me just also say, being liked at work is really powerful. I'm a big believer in being a charismatic boss. Look at the people who have won the presidency over the last 50 years. The, the It's the the charismatic George Bushes, John Kennedy, those people who end up winning over the ones who are stiff and uncharismatic. I really believe in the power of charisma and how important it is to be liked. And I think that inspires people, but not everybody's going to like you. There's going to be the woman that think you remind her of the sister who bit off her Barbie heads and (laughs) she is not going to like you no matter what you do and you just have to let go of it you have to say that I'm going to deal with her professionally I'm not going to let this be an issue I'm going to keep the emotion out but I'm not going to worry anymore about trying to make her like me because that's not going to that's not going to happen here and I also see women sometimes so needy to be like That they get into pleaser habits like smiling too much or nodding too much and it's good to check yourself at the end of the day and say how much do my cheeks hurt from smiling too much am i nodding too much uh just playing it neutral sometimes and letting the other side wonder a little bit can be very effective
1: Mm, Kate, again, what a great point. I so appreciate how you distinguished why being charismatic and liked works for us and how if we're working at it too much doesn't work for us. I just think that's great for our listeners. And for me. Thank you.
2: There's a point where you just say, Okay, I tried. uh, And it's not going to happen. So that's, that's, that's fine.
1: Hmm. Hmm. And then, lastly, on that particular point, uh, this is something I see women struggle with. Um, how can we help women better accept criticism and with courage and grace, so it's not so such a punch in the gut for them?
2: Criticism is so important. It's your boss's opportunity, or perhaps some colleagues' opportunity to remind you of something that you're doing that you may not be aware of. And I saw a study once that said that high achieving people often in general, men and women, tend not to acknowledge the, the negativity of certain things they do. And look, at, we're in a world today where failure has gotten such a bad name. We ha- We have a setback at work and our partners and our friends say, oh, leave it behind you. Don't worry about it. Move on. It's really important to look at our failures and look at criticisms criticisms we've received and learn from them and say, is there a pattern here? Am I hearing the same thing over and over again? How can I fix this so it doesn't sabotage me in the future? I saw a study once that said that bosses sometimes stop offering their female subordinates as much criticism as they want to that they think would be effective because they get Teary or defensive, and you don't want that hap- to happen. You want to, you want to know.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what I think is helpful is if we can all reframe criticism as the gift that allows us to be able, when we respond to it, to become the people we were meant to become. That I'm all about self self actualization and re- self realization, and so. If we can look at criticism as that gift that helps us become that amazing person we can become, I think it's much easier to hear it.
2: Yes, unless you've got an abusive boss, and those bosses should be left immediately.
1: Well, yes, I completely agree with that, yes. Okay, let's take another fast short break, our last one for this this particular show. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Kate White, the New York Times bestselling author of 12 murder mysteries and thrillers and several popular career books, including The Gutsy Girl Handbook, Your Manifesto for Success, based on her groundbreaking bestseller, Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead, But Gutsy Girls Do. She joins us today from New York City. We've been talking more about these rules and how they've been helping her in her life and those other women around her. We'll continue the conversation after the break. Stay with us.
0: Back to Working On Purpose.
1: If you're just tuning in, my guest is Kate White, the New York Times bestselling author of 12 murder mysteries and thrillers and several popular career books, including The Gutsy Girl Handbook, Your Manifesto for Success, based on her groundbreaking bestseller, Why Good Girls Don't Get Ahead, But Gutsy Girls Do. For 14 years, Kate was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine, where she increased overall circulation by 30% and made Cosmo the number one magazine in the U.S. in single sales copy. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for our last segment here, Kate, I just want to see if we can get a few more of those rules out on on the table here for our listeners here. And one of them that you talk about that I'm intrigued with is, is you say that a gutsy girl owns her excellence. Why that's intriguing to me is that when I work with women that I coach, a lot of the feedback they get is when they claim their competence or what they're good at, they're told that they're brash. So first, what's your response to that?
2: Oh, that bugs me. It sure does. And, and then, <laughs> not, me too. We're not being told we're brash for being mansplained by a guy who thinks he knows better than we do. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the one thing I would say, if I heard the term brash a couple times, I would step back and look at how I'm going about it. Because it could be just certain phrases we're using or way we're presenting might be adding to that and it may not be fair, but there's nothing wrong with a little course correction if you feel that there just might be some ways that you present that could be offensive. But I think for the most part today, when women come across showing their power and their confidence, it's appealing. When you're dealing with the right bosses and the right companies, it's valued. The big mistake I see women making in terms of owning their excellence is not feeling ready when they really are for stuff. There was a study that got mentioned in books that women think they have to be 100% ready for to go after a job, and guys only 60%. And someone very interestingly showed there was no study. It was a journalist who did a story on this. And I had tried to find the very same study after I read about it and lean in. There's no such study, but it was extrapolated from a remark a guy from McKinsey made. But I think he's right. We think we have to be 100% ready. And owning our excellence is is accepting that for a big new job or promotion, no one expects us to be 100% ready. It's always going to be a bit of a stretch. So own your excellence. Know that it's, it's best to say yes even if you don't feel 100% ready, and then figure it out from there. Let your motto be not uh, ready, aim, fire, but aim, fire, ready, and just go for it.
1: Mm, I love that, Kate. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, I speak a lot to audiences of women and women who are developing their, their careers and their leadership. And and one of the things I tell them is that there's something we can learn from men. And that is that a man doesn't even think twice about applying for a job. Let's say there's 10 things in that job that you're supposed to have for, for competencies or education or experience. Um, if he has, you know, four or five of them, he's going to put his name in the hat. A woman, if she has seven or eight, will go. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm missing a couple. Maybe I shouldn't do it. <laughs> and and it's amazing to me. So the man applies and he gets the job.
2: Right. Uh, there's there's an executive uh, coach that is a friend of mine, and I've interviewed her for some of my books. And she was telling me that in her business, that it's so funny that if a woman is practically fluent in French, she'll put down she'll put on her resume some French, where a guy who had four years in college writes fluent in French. I know so they're they're just ballsy that way, and we we should absolutely at least steal a page from that.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what I say too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the other great things that you have in your book that I just think is just so great for women to really focus on in their careers about you've got four points on how women can increase their clout, starting with driving profitability. Now, I don't know how anybody can argue with that. So will you say a few things about how women can increase their clout?
2: Let me first say one of the mistakes we make once we are successful is to start resting on our laurels a little bit, not intentionally, but we get busy, you need to be evaluating regularly, do I need to up my presence here, do I need to remind people of my clout, am I involved enough in what I need to be involved in, and one of the big clout factors is, are you really doing stuff that is saving the company money or driving profitability, and if you're not. If you're just pushing some papers around, you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how you're going to do that. Another one is feeling entitled to information that you in a company, it's really important, uh, particularly, uh, there's a really interesting, you know, I know we don't have time, but some research that shows that one of the reasons women aren't pick for leadership positions is that they they don't have business acumen in terms of the company. You should be reading the annual report um, uh, listening in on earnings uh, calls and just getting a sense of what, uh, what are the big company goals and how can I be a part of achieving them. You want to build alliances as part of uh, increasing your clout. This is a time where you should be Really getting to know people in other departments, supporting them so they support you. And just back to what I said before, be not just a change agent, be a risk agent. Look for ways to disrupt, to, to, to bring freshness and bold ideas into your company.
1: Mm, That was golden. I think you're right that so many women don't really have the business acumen that they need. And I think the alliances you talked about was so important because a lot of those people are going to be the people that help usher you in and up in organizations, those alliances. And they take time and attention. Yeah.
2: They do. So don't make the mistake of burrowing in at your desk and keeping your nose close to the grindstone. That can look like It works because it worked maybe when you were in ninth grade, but it doesn't work in the business world. You need to be aware of your presence in the company and what it's saying and what your role is viewed at. So step back and look at that.
1: Mm. I want to give you a chance to maybe close the show with this, if you will. We talk a lot about this show, about leadership, helping companies grow and change. And and you've got something in there about a Guts Girl Becomes a Kick-Ass Boss. So what do you mean by that?
2: It's pretty much what anyone would tell you. You want to be clear about your vision. You want to revisit your vision frequently. You want to share it. You want to set standards for the people who work for you. You want to reward them. But most, and you want to be a good listener, so important. But I think for me, one of the things that I really enjoyed so much at Cosmo was being the kind of boss that I felt fierce devotion from the people who worked for me. And so many of those people are still in my life as friends and mentees. And you do that by making them feel passionate about the mission and what they are going to learn from the mission. And, and even though I knew sometimes I was doing this, giving away some of the, the the house secrets to people who would go on and run other magazines, I shared my philosophy that with them. I told them what I thought was a winning cover line. I shared some of the research so they felt this job was of value to them because they were really learning a ton and could use it, love it, and go on from there and be a success in a bigger way someplace else one day.
1: You contributed to them and you made them bigger than they were than before they found you.
2: Yes, and, and there is something so rewarding about that. My former number two is now the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, and I just dropped her an email today. I just love this woman. She was just so fantastic and the fact that i get to still have her in my life in a way is so rewarding and one day somebody told me that uh, three women who were editors-in-chief who had worked for me ran into each other in an event and they laughingly said yeah um we went to um um Editor in chief camp under boot camp under Kate White. And that's <laughs> what I love. The idea that people saw it is that if I work for her, I'm going to be an editor in chief one day. Oh my and gosh. That's, that's what you want to do as a boss. You want people to think this is good for me. I love the mission here, but it's also a value to me in terms of my career. And the more you can let them in on your thinking, so they walk out of out of your office going, "She just shared with me her best cover line writing tip, or she just shared for me what kind of celebrity really sells on the cover, and I'm going to be able to use that one day when I compete against her."
1: Oh, my gosh. What a great way to finish the show, Kate. What a gift you are. I thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your your wisdom, your passion, your expertise with the listenership, and me. Thank you,
2: Elise, It was wonderful. I bet you were just the most fabulous guide for women and coach for women. and boy, I, I'd love to be one of your clients one day.
1: <laughs> other way around, Kate, I'm gonna keep <laughs> I'm gonna keep after you. so, Listeners, if you want to learn more about Kate White and her numerous books and what she's up to, visit her website. It's www.katewhitespeaks.com. That's katewhitespeaks.com. Join us next week when we talk with Gwen Rich, who is truly working on purpose as she continues to live, as she says, past her expiration date as a breast cancer battler. We'll be talking about what women can do to prevent cancer and how she is living a legacy for others in her closing days on the planet. See you then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez each week on the voice america empowerment channel this week find your life's purpose at work